Welcome, I'm Rose Aguilar, and this is your Calls Media Roundtable. At least 8,000 non-combatants have been confirmed killed in Ukraine, with nearly 13,000 injured since the Russian invasion on February 24th of last year, according to the UN. Joining us with the latest is Eric Reguli, European Bureau Chief for the Globe and Mail. Eric is just back from a reporting trip to Ukraine. Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us again. Hi, Rose. Great to be back. Well, it's great to have you back, Eric. This is going to be about a 25-minute segment. So if you have any questions for Eric about what he saw on his recent trip to Ukraine and the overall situation, you can give us a call at 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at kalw.org. Eric, before we talk about your reporting trip, I just want to ask you about a piece you tweeted about this morning from the Kiev Post. It's called Explosions Near Russian Weapons Site Coincide with Zelensky's Hints of More Long-Range Strikes. And just to read from this piece, explosions lit up the night sky on Friday morning deep inside Russia near a town which is host for a high-security Kremlin weapons research facility, as Zelensky hinted that Kyiv's campaign of long-range strikes against Moscow's forces will continue and multiply in the future. I mean, this is major news, Eric. Well, yeah, because it, it's, it's, it looks like uh, Ukraine is, is taking the war into the heart of Russia. Now, Ukraine has in, in, in recent months sent uh, long-range drones, not missiles, but drones into Russian-occupied areas, into Russia itself, into Crimea, which it's illegally occupied since 2014. So I, he's trying to send them. No, I, these drones have not done a lot of damage so far, as far as we know. Um, but he's sending the message to uh, to Putin, to Russia, to the Russians that they are not immune from this war. And uh, yes, it, it, will it accelerate? Sure, it will, right. because because the Ukrainians are building drones. So so what are your thoughts? I mean, where do you how do you think this will affect things moving forward? Well, I mean, if these drone attacks inside Russia re, uh, increase, uh, which I think they will, um, uh, Putin has no choice but to retaliate. I mean, he's good. Putin's got a lot of weapons. I mean, we keep reading about uh, how the weapon, weapon stockpiles, especially shells, 155 millimeter shells, 125 millimeter shells used for cannons, uh, tanks, uh, howitzers are running low and they are running low. But Russia, Russian factories have not been bombed. They are running 24-7 um they are they are intact and so and at the same time nato is, is supplying a lot of weapons to the ukrainian side so so both sides are resupplying i, I don't see how this war ends anytime soon mm. okay well we'll talk about that in just a couple minutes but i wanted to also ask you i mean last time you were on eric i asked you what is it going to take to come to the table here to end all of this I mean, we keep talking about weapons and money, but what about ending this? 
And I just want to ask you about a few things that happened this week. And I'm just reading from the Washington Post here. Uh, This is from yesterday. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken had a brief encounter on Thursday with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov on the sidelines of the Group of 20 Largest Industrialized Nations Meeting in the first face-to-face conversation between the two diplomats since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Blinken stressed Washington's support for a peaceful resolution to the war in Ukraine that maintains the country's territorial integrity, said a senior State Department official. So what are your thoughts about what is happening now between various parties? Okay, what what interests me, Rose, is, I mean, not so much this short meeting between uh, Blinken and Lavrov, actually, I met Lavrov once a few years ago, um, is that is the Chinese role, the Chinese are getting involved, they are proposing um, a peace plan, the outline of this peace plan isn't, isn't well formed, as far as I know. But what I find interesting in this is that, look, the, the Putin is not going to listen to to NATO. He's not certainly not going to listen to the Americans, who he considers an active you know, enemy in, in this war. Um, Putin claims he's now fighting NATO, not necessarily Ukraine. But Putin would, in theory, listen to China because he considers China an ally and a friend. And China is buying all its commodities and oil all this, all these commodities that it's no longer selling in, in Europe. So if China is proposing a, a peace plan, I mean, I think this is a positive. And so I, I, you know, I'm hoping anyway that Putin will listen to China and China comes up with a realistic peace plan. I, I, I think I think the story now really is China, whether whether they can where they can get a peace peace plan going or not. So can you lay out what that would look like? Again, reading from the Kiev Independent from yesterday, Beijing has publicly maintained that it's a neutral party to Russia's war in Ukraine, with Xi saying that it has consistently upheld the fundamental principles of objectivity and impartiality. Okay, so how do you see this playing out? Um, because uh, Xi Jinping and Putin declared a friendship without limits. And then they also report that the two countries' naval forces have engaged in joint military drills in the East China Sea since last February. Well, it's it, it depends. I mean, China will have a, a, a lot more credibility as a neutral party if it does not support Russia militarily. Now, the Americans' big fear, the White House' big fear, and they have stated this, is that Russia, I'm sorry, China um, will supply weapons to Russia. And Russia is desperate for weapons. It's buying weapons from North Korea. It's buying them uh, drones from from Iran. Um, So it it needs weapons. If if China supplies weapons to Russia, it could supply a lot in a hurry and it could change the nature of the war because Russia is, despite what's happening in Bakhmut uh, this week, it's it's bogged down. It's like World War One style warfare. So I think for anyone to anyone in the West to take China seriously, they have to be convinced 100 percent that China is not getting involved militarily. And that's that the Americans are doubtful about this. There's also a lot of saber rattling against China in the United States. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be just a global disaster, Rose, if China did get involved militarily, um, because there would be sanctions against China. 
uh, big sanctions. Uh, China would impose sanctions against the United States. There could be a global recession. Don't forget China is either the biggest or one of the biggest buyers of U.S. Treasury bills. I mean, they own hundreds of billions of dollars of U.S. Treasury bills. Um, and if they were to stop buying them, there could be a financial crisis. So it's it's there's there's no good scenario here if if it's proven that China is supporting Russia to the degree that it gives weapons, because there will be a, a global trade war, a global sanctions war. And who knows where this could end? You know, Eric, over the past year, the major media in the United States have, for the most part, really been behind this war, um, been behind sending weapons to Ukraine. Is this the same? Is that the same in Europe with European media? No, I mean, it's I think the European media is is less raw raw. I'm in Italy at the moment in Rome. I'm going back to Ukraine late next week. And um there is quite a bit in Italy anyway of uh talk about why are we why are we prolonging this war? We meaning um NATO Europe in general, the Americans by by supplying um billions of dollars worth of weapons. Um, the, it's in Ireland, yes, uh, factions in, in Germany, uh, you know, a couple of the, of the big opposition parties like Alternative for Germany, which is which is strong in Eastern Germany, are, are, are saying that this is this has got to stop. We've got to um, we have to stop. We have to force the sides to a negotiating table. Um, because the alternative is uh, is an intensified war on both sides, that which could end in in a horror show. I mean, it's already a horror show, but it could expand. So, yeah, I think you, there's there's less raw raw here. Certainly, Eric Regili is European bureau chief for the Globe and Mail. He's just back from a reporting trip to Ukraine. So, Eric, tell us where you were and give us an overview of what you saw on the ground, what you heard from people. Um, I was uh, in a lot of places. Ukraine's a big country, certainly by European standards. Um, we have a bureau in Kiev, and um, one trip I found fast. And uh, look, it rose in Kiev. On a good day, you don't notice the war. Um, yes, there are still blackouts, but there aren't blackouts like there used to be in December. Uh, when the power system was having trouble uh, keeping the lights on. So, I mean, I would say we had electricity at least 80% of the time and heat. A lot of the stores and and shops, when the electricity goes out, have generators. I didn't get a sense of, of abject fear. Now, Having said that, we did go to the far eastern side of the country, to to Kharkiv, which is the second biggest city. It's pretty close to the front lines. On the very day we checked into a hotel, less than uh, half a kilometer away from our hotel, about two or three hours before we got there, the Russians did a, a missile strike right in the center of the city. It took out a beautiful street. I mean, we saw we walked along it and took pictures pretty much destroyed the street, and also it took out a university building right behind it. The destruction was was terrible. Incredibly, no one was killed there, but there, there were injuries. I mean, there were ambulances all over the place. Um, in, in that city, in, in Kharkiv, you do get 
the sense of fear. I call it uh, tombstone eyes because it is so close to the front lines that if this Russian invasion, which appears to be underway, you, we can talk about Bakhmut in a second. Um, if if it's, if it does intensify, they know that they could come under siege again. So it really depends where you are in the country. Now, I've not been to the deep south near the Crimean border, but in 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 Kherson, it's it, they're still getting shelled virtually every day. What about the people you met? I mean, how are they surviving a cold winter and constant attacks from the air and ground by Russian forces? Well, um, it's, I, as I mentioned, the electricity supply in Kiev anyways is stabilized. Um, and it is throughout the country, the uh, companies like DTEC, which is the biggest privately owned generating company, have done a miraculous job in keeping the lights on. Um, though at, at a huge expense, DTEC alone has lost 140 employees uh, killed. Um, uh, some of them who were drafted, some were killed uh, in power stations that were hit, some were killed, were killed at um, trying to repair power lines, stepping on landmines while they tried to repair power lines. I mean, it's just a nightmare, the, the, the sacrifice. What, where my heart goes out is, is the poverty levels. The poverty levels have really climbed from 5% to 30%. Uh, there's horrendous inflation, uh, it's something like 25%. Uh, there's probably going to be another devaluation. There are a lot of people who can't feed themselves. And what 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 hits me is I wa- walk out of the apartment, you go to a, you know, to, to a supermarket, and you're approached by middle-aged or older people who are very nicely dressed, who have no money. Mm-hmm. They can't afford their heating bills. They can't afford to feed themselves. And there's millions and millions of people like this. Wow. That's just devastating. Where do you, we talked about this last time, Eric, about the economy and, and what's ahead for average Ukrainians. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, for people who cannot afford the basics and food, I mean, how are they getting help? How are they surviving? Um, a lot of aid is going in. World Food Program, uh, the United Nations World Food Program, based in Rome, is 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 sending lots of food in there. Uh, the United Nations, in general, has it's, I think it's about one thousand two hundred people in in Ukraine. They're doing everything from protecting museums from from looting. Um, to to medical supplies to feeding people um but but again it really depends where 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 the war is i mean in frankly in, in most of ukraine is is pretty safe right now the the hell zones are you know in 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 the far east and and the deep south and uh but you know life carries on in 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 you know most of uh, of most of ukraine um could this change sure i mean it it will the russian offensive is, is certainly underway it's a question of whether it's going to build momentum and i i think it will you have to wonder how russia is going to respond to the news that we're hearing about this morning about the explosion that lit up the night sky inside Russia near a town which is host for a high-security Kremlin weapons research facility. In the places that you just described, Eric, what you call a hell zone, are, are, were average citizens able to flee these areas, especially those without resources? 
because there have been stories about people who do have resources who have left the country. But what about those that don't? Most, most have left in, in, I mean, right on the front lines. Oh, yeah. I mean, these, these places now look at I have not actually been into um, parts of Ukraine that are within artillery range where we're not allowed to for the, the simple reason we could get killed uh, quite easily. Uh, we've been close, but not actually in them. Most people have left. Um, and, um, in some, some of these towns, like, I mean, in Bakhmut, I think, which was, you know, 20 or 30,000, there were a few hundred people left who re- either refuse to leave or don't have the means to leave. And, you know, their lives are in absolute danger. And it's, 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 it's terrible. I mean, you mentioned earlier that 8,000 civilians have died. Um, and that's what they know of. And it's about, and about 500 children as well. So, yeah, these numbers will certainly rise. Yeah. And then there's stories about um, prosecutors and human rights groups documenting, documenting crimes of rape that have been committed. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I left um, when I left uh, Kiev um, um, last week, um, I, I took an overnight train to the Polish border and in my in my cabin was uh, a senior United Nations war crimes investigator. And he told me stuff that that was, it's basically the horrors he saw basically unrepeatable on, 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 uh, on radio. I mean, evidence of executions of old people, of young people, uh, you know, people with their hands tied behind their back and executed. Um, It's, yeah, there, there's certain there's certainly going to be a war crimes in, in, uh, in investigation, and cert- and the evidence is being collected already by 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 these investigators. Well, if anyone wants to read more about this, the Hill has a piece called "How Ukraine Is Trying to Make Russia Pay for Crimes Against Women." Really, a damning story. To talk about uh, the weapons here and the money that is being spent, Eric, I just wonder what your thoughts are about this because. Um, President Biden's February 20th surprise visit to Kiev, uh, of course, got so much attention. And he said, together, we've committed nearly 700 tanks and thousands of armored vehicles, a thousand artillery systems, more than two million rounds of artillery ammunition. It goes on and on and on. Uh, the United States has given about 30 billion in assistance to Ukraine since the beginning mm-hmm. of this administration. Um, what are your thoughts on this? The LA Times actually had a really interesting story, a lengthy story called Who's Benefiting from Russia's War on Ukraine? Arms Dealers and Manufacturers. There's a a massive international defense exhibition and conference, that's what it's officially called, in Abu Dhabi. And it just talks about how this is really changing how the countries around the globe are buying weapons. They're just, they're starting to buy them in massive numbers because of all of this. I'm not starting, but they're continuing, but the numbers are going up. Oh, yeah. I mean, part of part of the reason is, I mean, is I mean, look at Germany. Germany was the NATO target is for defense spending for each each of its member countries is two percent of GDP. Most countries, Canada, Germany, Italy were well below that. Now, all these countries are going to two percent, even north of two percent. The big winner in this is is going to be United States. Obviously, um, it's it's got the world's biggest defense contractors like Raytheon, like uh, like Lockheed, um, and um, their orders they haven't yet rose, 
um, but they are they will continue. They will um, they will ramp up fair fairly soon. Uh, it takes a while. I mean, you just can't build a factory overnight. I mean, you, the Western world has virtually no munition factories. I mean, there were hundreds at the end of World War II and through the Cold War, and and then they, they most of them closed. So that's ramping up. The United States is also becoming one of the biggest suppliers of uh, liquefied natural gas to to Europe, specifically Germany. It was Russia was the biggest uh, supplier of uh, of exported gas to um, to Germany. Now it's becoming United States and Qatar. Um, so you know that that's that's a win. Um, and you know no Americans are dying in Ukraine, which is another win. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 a global weapons bonanza. Right. Since you brought up Germany, the L.A. Times reports that the German government has shaken off its usual hesitancy regarding military matters and pledged to spend $100 billion on re-equipping its armed forces. In Asia, Japan and South Korea, they are boosting military spending in response to China. I mean, it just the list just goes on and on. And as you say, these companies, these weapons companies are seeing their shares rise on the stock market to their best levels in years. Yeah, I mean they're and, but and they're going to keep going up. Like I said, these these contracts are just starting to arrive, and you know I can only be cynical about this because, you know, uh, would more investors buy the shares of these companies? Sure. What's holding us back is is the thought that maybe this war is going to end in the summer, and then the weapon sales are going to fall. So why why should we buy the shares now? But look, I, I personally don't think this war is going to end anytime soon. So these these companies like Lockheed and Raytheon, their share prices are going to keep going up. A bit of a lag. So from here, Eric, you talked about China's role, uh, but then the continuing flow of weapons going in. So when you say it's not going to end anytime soon, uh, can you elaborate on that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Both sides, Ukraine and Russia, are showing no signs of compromise. Ukraine is emboldened because it is getting a flood, will soon get a flood, not right now, but within the next few months, a flood of NATO caliber weapons, which are superior to Russian weapons. I'm talking Leopard, Leopard 2 tanks from Germany, the best tanks in the world. Sorry, Americans, but the Leopard 2 is better than the Abrams. Patriot air defense missiles, uh, a variety of shells and air defense systems. Uh, Bradley fighting vehicles from the United States. And these are really high quality stuff. And the Ukrainians think that, you know, they had great success in September and October taking back um, a lot of the occupied territory uh, in the east and the south, and they think that they're emboldened to think they can they can take the rest. At the same time, Russia is showing no signs of compromise, and they are no doubt going to launch a major offensive, one that's that probably has started already uh, in back around Bakhmut, which seems to be on the verge of falling. If you look at the the real-time war maps, Bakhmut is three-quarters encircled now by, by Russian and Wagner mercenary forces. So I don't see this ending anytime soon because no one's in able to is wants to compromise. And Putin doesn't want to lose his job uh, with a defeat. Um, he doesn't recognize Ukraine's right to exist. He doesn't recognize Zelensky as Ukraine's leader. He he considers Ukraine lost Russian territory and he wants it back. 
And just to add one more uh, weapon to all of this, Congress is pressuring the Pentagon to give Ukraine F-16s. Yeah, I, I sort of, I doubt those, I, I doubt they're going to come. Um, I mean, that's, that's going to be, could be a provocation really, really too far for, for Russia. Um the, you know, don't forget, Russia is not pre- certainly not prepared to lose uh, Crimea, um, and it's uh, it's going to keep on fighting. And, don't, and what I'm worried about is is that Russia is potentially handed such a defeat that that Putin will retaliate. Don't forget in a big way. And don't forget, this is Russia is the world's biggest nuclear power. And and Putin has threatened to use nukes uh, in the last few months. And you know, if he is cornered, would would he press the button and, and use a, a you know tactical nuke, which is a, you know a relatively small battlefield nuclear bomb? I wouldn't rule it out. I I, I really wouldn't. I mean, I, I'm actually very scared now, Rose, uh, about, about about this, because I don't think Putin is going to tolerate a humiliating defeat. What story are you working on now, Eric, given that you just took a trip to Ukraine? Um, I've, I've done all my stories that I want to do on Ukraine from, from the last trip. Um, I'm now working on ideas for the next trip. Here's one. I, I like the human interest story. So when I, w- I was at a secret factory in in eastern ukraine i can't disclose its relation uh, its location but it's where they took where the ukrainians had captured russian weapons tanks uh, armor personnel carriers howitzers rebuild rebuild them on the spot and send them back into into action to kill russians so it's captured russian equipment used to kill russians and i noticed that everyone in this factory they were pretty old these are like old men like they were like you know, 50s, 60s, even older. Some of them were farmers. Uh, they, and I, I like this story because these are these are older guys coming out of retirement, leaving the farm, and doing what they can to help the country. So what I want to do is is a story on one of the stories I want to do is on on old guys joining the military. Some of them with their sons, of course. And fighting, it's it's a national cause. Um, um, another story I want to do would I want to visit an actual coal generating power plant, and s- just watch them rebuild these things in, in in real time. And to me, this is a miracle. I mean, a plant is virtually destroyed. They send in you know hundreds of engineers to fix this, and they fix them in a few hours. I don't know how that how they can do that. I mean, because these weapons are devastating that hit these plants. Mm. Um, and then I'll be watching the, the Russian offensive uh, and possible Ukrainian counteroffensive. Eric Reguli, European Bureau Chief for the Globe and Mail. He's just back from a reporting trip to Ukraine. Eric, as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Rose. Talk again. Thank you. Coming up after a break on Your Calls Media Roundtable, we will talk about the far-right federal judge in Texas who could ban mifepristone, a key abortion drug. We are awaiting, we're waiting for a decision any day now. We'll be back after this.